from the Hutterberg Catechism. We read together Lord's Day 12. Why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, our only high priest, by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the Father and our eternal King who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Why are you called a Christian? Because I'm a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing so that I may as prophet confess his name as priest present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him. And as king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when Mary and Joseph called their newborn son Jesus, that was calmly accepted by the people of their day. In the Old Covenant, children had often been called Joshua, the Hebrew variant of this name. In Jesus' day, it was more common for parents to call their son Jesus. In Colossians 4, verse 11, Paul sends greetings from himself and his fellow workers, one who was called Jesus. Acts 13, 6 records the fact that on the island of Paphos, there was a sorcerer, a false prophet called Bar-Jesus, or son of Jesus. It was customary to be called Jesus. And so the Jewish people accepted the fact that our Lord was given this name. But when Jesus accepted the name Christ, many of the Jews were greatly offended. So offended that in the end, Jesus' admission before the high priest that he was the Christ was considered blasphemy and reason enough for him to be crucified. Why was this admission so offensive to the Jews? What does the name Christ mean? To understand this, we need to distinguish between the names Jesus and Christ. The easiest way to do that is by using an example. While Queen Elizabeth was still alive, her eldest son was commonly known as Prince Charles. His personal name is Charles. In the same way, our Lord's personal name was Jesus. It's the name he was given at birth, the name by which he was addressed when growing up. Today, we know Charles not by his personal name, but by his title. He is now King Charles III. In the same way, Jesus claimed for himself the title Christ. He describes the task the position, the office of our Lord. We know what a king is and what's expected of a king. But what is a Christ? Christ is actually a Greek word. In English, it means anointed. When Christ accepted the title, the Christ, he was saying that he was the anointed one. The Hebrew equivalent was the Messiah, 
The point is that Jesus was claiming to be the one sent by God to redeem his people. All Israel was waiting for the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. For Jesus to accept this title upset the Jewish leaders greatly. It was offensive to them because they did not believe Jesus to be the one appointed by God to save them. Today, we profess Jesus to be the Christ. That, beloved, is a confession of faith. A statement that we believe him to be the Messiah, the one appointed by God to accomplish our salvation. Yeah, confessing Christ is more than just a statement of faith. If you accept Christ as your Redeemer, then you also acknowledge his claim on your life. Then you'll also accept your task as a Christian, that as a member of Christ by faith, you share in his anointing that you have an office a task, a calling to fulfill. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Christ our Redeemer calls us to fill our office as Christians. He calls us to serve as prophets, priests, and kings. The name Christ means the anointed one. In ancient times, anointing was quite common. Anointing is simply the pouring of oil on someone's head. Generally, this was done to provide refreshment from the heat of the Middle East. It was like rubbing a scented body lotion all over your skin. Yet anointing also had a more specific role. In the law, the Lord specified a special mixture of oils and fragrances as his holy anointing oil. This was the oil that was used when someone was called by the Lord to serve among his people in a specific office. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were often anointed with oil. It was a sign that such people were set apart for a special office. Oil in the Old Testament is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Often those anointed with oil showed signs that the Spirit of God had come upon them. And so we see that anointing is symbolic both of a person's appointment to office and also of their qualification for office. Anointing is a sign that God has called someone to his service and that he's given him the necessary gifts to fulfill that service. The Lord Jesus is called the anointed one because God called him to office and because God gave him the gift of the Spirit to fulfill this service. Christ was not anointed by any man. He did not have oil poured on his head to symbolize his anointing. It's because Christ was anointed directly by God himself. At his baptism in the River Jordan, the Holy Spirit descended upon the Lord Jesus in the form of a dove. That was the beginning of Jesus' official ministry. He was appointed by the Father to carry out the task of securing our redemption. In order to redeem us, Christ had to serve as our prophet, priest, and king. In the Old Covenant, these roles were mostly separate. Different men served in different offices. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit 
So he would be able to fulfill his office as prophet, priest, and king. It's only in this way that Christ could redeem his people, that he could save us from our sins. The role of God's prophets is often misunderstood today. We tend to think of men like John the Baptist, clothed in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, ranting and raving against the evils and the excesses of God's people. But it was not clothing or diet or manner that made a man into a prophet. A prophet was simply one who spoke God's word, who brought God's message to his people. We need to understand that in Jesus' day, it had been about 400 years since God had spoken to his people by means of a prophet. And suddenly there was John the Baptist calling God's people to repentance, preparing the way for the Lord. And then Jesus appeared on the scene. The people of God struggled to receive Jesus as a prophet from God. On the one hand, they liked his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. But many struggled with the message that Christ brought. It comes across clearly in our readings from John 6 and 7. In John 6, the Lord Jesus had fed 5,000 men from a boy's lunch. The crowds followed after him because of the signs he did. Jesus instructed them not to work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The Jews complained about Jesus, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They asked, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How could he now say, I have come down from heaven? John 6, verse 66 tells us that many of Jesus' disciples stopped following him. John 7, verse 5 tells us that at that time, even Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. They all rejected the message that he had come to offer up his flesh and blood to grant them eternal life. It's in this context that Jesus asked his 12 disciples, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus presented the people with a real dilemma. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he's leading the people astray. When Jesus attended the Feast of Tabernacles, he went into the temple and taught. And the Jews were amazed. And they asked, how is it that this man has learning? When he has never studied, Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. Jesus presented himself as being the Messiah, the one anointed to bring about our redemption. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, 
Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Some concluded Jesus was a prophet. The prophet who Moses had said would be like him in speaking God's words to the people. Some concluded that Jesus was the Christ. But others still struggled with the fact that they knew where Jesus was from. He was Jesus of Nazareth, from Galilee. And they knew that the Christ would come from the seed of David, from the town of Bethlehem. We, beloved, know Jesus to be our chief prophet and teacher. He was born in the line of David. His birth took place in Bethlehem, according to the prophecies of the Old Covenant. We know that Jesus was not the biological son of Joseph, but the son of God. As prophet, Jesus spoke God's words to his people. He revealed the way of salvation. He was the bread which came down from heaven. He said, whoever ate of this bread would not die, but would live forever. It's very important for us to know and to believe the gospel message. Faith is more than an intellectual consent to a certain doctrine or teaching. Paul teaches us in Romans 10 about the way of salvation. He says in verses 9 and 10, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess your faith and are saved. Faith is not just an internal matter. If you have faith, that will show forth in your life. If you believe in the Lord Jesus with your heart, you will also speak about him with your mouth. Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 10, So whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. You see, beloved, we are named after our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're called Christians. And that's a very appropriate name for us. For we share in Christ's anointing. Just as Christ received the Spirit to enable him to fulfill his ministry, so the Holy Spirit has come to make his home in us, that we might more and more reflect the image of our Savior. Just as Christ was equipped to serve as our prophet, priest, and king, so are we. And so every one of us is called to serve as prophet. As Jesus' representatives on earth, we are called to serve as his witnesses. We are called to confess Christ in daily life. To confess his name means to speak about him. Often we're reluctant to do that because we fear being ridiculed as religious nuts. Beloved, please do not let the fear of man prevent you from speaking about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
When people blaspheme Jesus' great name, speak up and let them know that they are using the name of the king of all the earth as a curse word. At times, your friends or your workmates will ask about lifestyle issues, about why you don't live together with your boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage, about why you go to church, or why you don't want to go out with them and get drunk or get stoned. Tell them that you live the way you do because you're a Christian. And then explain what it means to be a Christian. Tell them about how Jesus has died on the cross for your sins. How he has saved you from your sins and misery. Speak about the blessings of a living relationship with God. And then don't, look, don't let them off the hook. Ask if they believe in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Invite them to share the riches that you have. Speak to them about the joy and hope that lives in you. Do you know why we are commanded to confess Christ's name? It's because our personal witness is one of the primary means God uses to bring those living in darkness into his light. In our media-focused world, there are so many competing voices. People are promoting all kinds of different ideas. And Satan uses that to drown out the gospel message. If you have a friend, a workmate, a neighbor who asks you a question about who you are or about why you live as you do, you have been given a glorious opportunity to share the gospel. Plant a seed. Recognize it may take time for this person to respond positively, but continue to answer questions and to live your life as a Christian. God can use you as an instrument to call others to faith in Jesus. Fulfilling our office as Christians requires more than just serving as prophets. In our second point, we'll see that Christ calls us to serve as priests. In the Old Testament, priests served in the temple. Their task was to reconcile the people with God. They offered up sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of the people and prayed for the people. In this way, the sins of the people would be atoned for. The people would be restored in their relationship with the Lord. Yet ultimately, the sacrifices offered up in the temple in Jerusalem did not atone for the sins of God's people. The blood of animals was not sufficient to pay for man's sins. And so as the history of God's people progressed, the cry for the Messiah got louder and louder. The people of Israel needed the perfect mediator to come to take away the wall of division caused by sin. They needed the anointed one to come to atone for their sins. Our Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled this role. He served as our high priest. The way that Christ served as priest is unique. For he did not offer up something else as a sacrifice. He offered up his own body as a sacrifice for our sins. The author of Hebrews speaks about this in chapter 10. He knows that Christ offered for all time one sacrifice 
for sins. By that one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. As a result, God now says, their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. Because of Christ's redemptive work as our only high priest, we have been reconciled to God. And so the author of Hebrews says that we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. While in the old covenant, it was only the high priest who was allowed to enter the holy of holies once per year. Today, we are all encouraged to draw near to God. We have the comfort and the assurance that when we pray to our Father in heaven, our prayers are heard because Jesus intercedes for us. As Christians, members of Christ by faith, we are now called to serve as priests, not in any way to make payment for our sins. Christ has done that perfectly and completely, but rather to offer ourselves as living sacrifices of thankfulness to God. In Romans 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In 1 Peter 2, the Apostle Peter says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. To understand these texts, we need to know what a sacrifice is. A sacrifice is something one presents to the Lord as a gift. Israel presented offerings of sheep and goats and bulls. God calls us to offer up spiritual sacrifices. He calls us to offer up our hearts and our lives to him. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. God has claimed us by causing his spirit to dwell in us. He now calls us to live holy lives in his service. You see, beloved, our justification, the forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Christ, is not the end of our salvation. Christ also came to sanctify us, to make us holy. He renews us by the Holy Spirit so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy life. Professing Christ is hypocritical. If you don't live for him, words need to be backed up by actions, by a godly lifestyle. When we see what Christ has done for us, it should make us ponder on what we are willing to do for him. Christ denied his own will to do his Father's will, even though that man dying that horrible, that shameful death on the cross. Whose will do we follow when faced with temptations or the desires of our sinful flesh? Do we conform ourselves to society around us, 
taking part in worldly pleasures? Are we willing to give up what we know is wrong? Priestly service involves self-denial. Christ calls us to live obedient lives according to the law of God, to love God with all our heart and our neighbor as ourselves. This brings us to our final point, and we'll see that Christ calls us to serve as kings. Jesus claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah, caused a lot of conflict in Israel. The Jewish leaders got very upset any time when someone suggested that Jesus was the Christ. Their expectation of the Messiah was that he would come as a mighty king to lead a revolt against the Romans and so deliver God's people from their enemies. They were looking for a king that would reestablish Israel as a dominant nation in world affairs. The Jewish leaders got very angry with the crowds when Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. The crowds praised God with the words of Psalm 118, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees called on Jesus to rebuke his disciples for what they considered to be blasphemy. But Jesus responded by stating that, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Ultimately, it was over this question of Christ claiming to be the king that he was crucified. Christ was condemned by the Sanhedrin because he agreed with the high high priest's statement that he was the Christ, the Son of God. He was mocked and reviled because of his claim to be Israel's king. We see this in the ceremony where the soldiers dress him up as a king and mock him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! We see this in that Christ was crucified with a sign over his head which read, The King of the Jews. The mistake that the Jewish leaders made was that they thought that Christ's kingship was of this world. Christ's kingship is not a physical kingship, it's spiritual. Christ's battle was not to stand up with the Jews against the Romans. His battle was against Satan and his evil forces. Christ came into this world to conquer sin and death. His kingship was not manifest on an earthly throne. Christ did not assume the throne until after his ascension and his, until after his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. It's when he sat down on the throne at God's right hand, that he took up his rightful place as our eternal king. Today, we have been anointed with Christ's Spirit, are called to serve as kings. A king's task is to rule. Yet also our kingship is not manifest in a physical sense. As Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are fighting a spiritual battle against sin and the devil. And so we need to arm ourselves with spiritual tools, with God's word and spirit, 
We can only fulfill our kingly task by putting on the armor of God. Beloved Christ's victory on the cross of Golgotha has great impact on our lives. Formerly, in our sinful nature, we were slaves to sin. But we've been justified and sanctified by the blood and spirit of Christ. Our sinful nature is no longer in charge of our lives. Paul says, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. We're no longer pawns in Satan's hand. James tells us, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We are kings. Christ calls us to fight the good fight of the faith and so lay hold of eternal life where we will reign with Christ eternally over all creatures. Beloved, we've seen how Christ has called us to serve as prophets, priests, and kings. When we look at the task in front of us, it's immense. And yet that should not scare us. For we don't have to do this in our own strength. We have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. He lives in our hearts. He is the one who equips us, who enables us to do our task. Let us then go forth in Christ's power this week. Declaring his name as faithful prophets. Do so not only among one another, but especially among those who do not share in Christ's anointing. Back up your profession by leading a holy and godly life as faithful priests. Deny the sinful desires of the flesh and live thankful lives to the glory of God. As kings, do not allow sin and Satan to rule you, but live fruitful lives under the reign of Christ's word and spirit. So fulfill Christ's calling and live as Christians to God's glory and for our neighbor's benefit. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing hymn 23, stanzas 1, 3, 4, and 6.